Hello and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your Biz and Mindset Coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast. We are so excited for today's episode. We have an incredible guest. Her name is Natasha Slayton. She is a singer, songwriter, and dancer, and actually has created one of my all-time favorite songs called Love Me Like Me. She is a member of the huge girl group GRL. She's also an Ayurvedic wellness counselor and podcast host of the Heart of Healing show, which if you haven't tuned into yet, please do so. It has been so instrumental in my growth. I've learned so much. And she's obviously so, so, so much more. Please welcome our lovely guest, Natasha Slayton. Hi. Hi, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. What an amazing introduction, Gina. Thank you. I mean, there's so many things to list. There's just so many things. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention, Natasha, is that um, I first heard about you when Gina shared your song with me, as she mentioned, Love Me Like Me. And um, that song has brought me to tears so many times. And the first lyric of the song is, I was wasting time searching for a feeling that I couldn't find until I started healing. And so that, oh, like that line just resonates so deeply. But For someone who hears this song for the first time and wouldn't be resonating with that, what do you actually mean by searching for a feeling? And how did you actually find that feeling once you started feeling? Oh, I'm so glad that you love the song. Thank you so much for sharing that. That means the world to me. Um, So when I first started writing the song, um, and I wrote with an incredible team, Lennon Leopard and Nolan Neal, and I was just talking about how, you know, I've been on this so-called healing journey. I mean, my entire life, but like for years and years, I've been consciously on this, on this healing and spiritual journey. And, um, I did have a period of time, uh, for about like five years where I was very deeply involved in drugs and alcohol. And this is not a sobriety song. So please don't get me wrong. This is, um, this song is an ode to healing in its most mm-hmm. esoteric and wide meaning space. We it applies to so many different healing journeys though, right? It could yeah. be for that. It could be for so many people and I think that's what we loved so much about it is that it can apply for so many. Yeah, absolutely. And when I was first talking about writing this song, um I really wanted to incorporate what my journey looked like with drugs and alcohol just because in searching for the spiritual connection, you really have to put aside anything that you're using to anesthetize your feelings and your deeper Mm. emotions that you're not actually wanting to feel. And in doing that, sometimes you feel like, okay, there's no way that I can reach this like spiritual high without this Mm. false connection. And so a lot of people Mm. will use something like drugs or alcohol, or, you know, it could be food, it could be video gaming, it could be gambling, like whatever it is, it's just yeah. a distraction and it's this false sense of connection. And so what I was realizing before I 
was writing the song, but I just wanted to explain like, okay, I was searching for so long for this feeling that I could never find until I truly started healing. Mm. Mm, Oh my gosh, so deeply. I know I got full (laughs) chills. Can you share, I mean, obviously you, you had just let us know that you were deeply involved with drugs and alcohol. What were you trying to suppress? Like what was the things that you were trying to, (laughs) trying to hide from? Um, that's a really good question. And, um, I didn't actually expect to jump so (laughs) deeply. We're going to just go right off the bat, but that is totally fine. So I, when I was in like my early twenties, I was in a really, really bad breakup, like in a really toxic relationship. And, um, I thought that it had been like a very safe space for me. And so my world got completely turned upside down. I'm sure so many people can relate to this. I just was completely flipped on the other side of what I thought was reality. And so I really could not consciously grasp what I was going through Mm. and I couldn't understand it. I couldn't bear the feelings. And I just kind of said, fuck it. And was like, I'm just going to drink because it's making me feel a little bit better. And to be honest, I was, um, writing in my manifestation journals while I was doing this and like sitting in my split machine and stretching and trying to do all the things to make myself feel better. But at the same time, like I needed that, um, crutch that I didn't, mm. cause I didn't have the other tools at the time. Mm. Um, I wasn't strong enough in my spiritual practice or just in life in general to be able to like do it without that help. Mm. And so then, um, I joined GRL, which was such a beautiful dream come true in a lot of ways, but also it really tested a lot of my emotional, like it, it really just tested me on a lot of different levels. I wasn't really prepared for everything that being in a girl group that massive brought with it. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were drugs around and, uh, it's in the industry, it's very easy to get a hold of. And, um, some things were offered to me and I said, yes, because I was just already in such a vulnerable space. And then joining a group with a bunch of stunning girls who are all extremely talented and like knowing that I, brought something to the table as well. But then all of a sudden being confronted with every dream I'd ever had and then being like, okay, like be free. Now is the time, like show up or, you know. Yeah. Being able to energetically hold that is actually so difficult. Um, Gina talks a lot about how when we are called to expand really quickly, it's almost like you're stretching out of your clothes and they're like ripping and it's like painful and you have to kind of adjust to this whole new energetic embodiment. So for you actually to have manifested this incredible dream of joining this girl group and pursuing your dream of singing, it's almost like it it starts off as a dream and then almost becomes a nightmare if you're yeah, not if you're energetically not ready. ready to embody. Yeah. Absolutely. And I like there's so many times where I just wish I could go back and repeat knowing and being mm. in the space that I'm in now and knowing everything that I know now, but you know, I take I take everything as a beautiful lesson and obviously I wouldn't be in the space I am now if I hadn't experienced those things, but I'm like, man, couldn't my spirit just have been more evolved back then? <laughs> like, did I really have to come into this life to learn all these hard lessons? Like, couldn't I, I have know. just been ready? Well, so, I was actually yeah. going to ask you, like, would, would you actually go back? And if you were to, what would you do differently? <sighs> well, I mean, if I were able to take all of the lessons that I know now, I would be very curious to see how I would 
act in those situations. I think, you know, that kind of life and that kind of lifestyle does resonate with me on a much more different level. So I don't identify with that life as much as I did for a really long time. And I'm actually in a very, very strong transitional period right now. So I'm still navigating what that looks like and feels like for me, if I'm to be completely honest. Mm. But I do often wonder, I mean, I would like to, if I had the option to be able to go back to also be able to say abort, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's Run a away. lot of things. I mean, I wonder, I often wonder, like, could I have saved Simone? Could I have saved my mom? Could I have you know, spared myself a lot of health issues and mental and emotional issues that the drugs and alcohol had affected me with for, you know, over the long term. So I, you know, there's a lot of things, but then I'm also like, okay, would I have my dogs? Would I know, would I like be in the same headspace I'm in now? Or would it be better? Like maybe it would be so much better if I got to redo the things. It's, it's, you know, it's know. so hard. I mean, Sam and I talk a lot about how pain is our purpose. It, it, there's always a purpose for the pain. And so it's easy to say, oh, I wish I could go back and just start over. I mean, honestly, even my journey as a mom, there's a part of me that wishes I had figured out all my shit before I had her so that yeah. I could have just been that super conscious parent from day one. Um, and, you know, they always talk about how the first seven years of their life is like so important and it like completely embeds into their consciousness and their, you know, their whole patterns and all of that kind of stuff. So I do think about that a lot of like, I wish I could go back. At the same time, like you said, it's because of everything I went through and all the things that showed up for me and all the triggers that I had to face in that arena that ultimately led to where I'm at now and the healing that I'm on now. And so, I mean, looking at your journey, I have been following you since literally day one of GRL. Um, I think you guys did like a Claire's thing and I was like totally following you back then. I watched your first performance and then seeing you obviously with everything that happened with Simone and then you launching your your single and then now getting into Ayurvedic stuff, it's just been so beautiful to watch that evolution of you and seeing how sometimes things don't work out, quote unquote, so that something better can come from it, you yeah. know? And so going back to Simone, I know it's her birthday today. I just saw that, it's which is birthday. so wild. Isn't that wow. amazing? I know I didn't That's put the two timing. together until last night when I was like, oh my gosh, these are aligning and I don't believe in coincidences. So I feel like it's the perfect synchronicity. I couldn't agree Definitely. more. I would love to dive into that. I mean, when that happened, was it a complete shock to all of you? Like, did you have any signs of her suffering? Um, it was extremely shocking um, for all of us, but there, you know, looking back at the time, you know, we saw, okay, she, um, was struggling a bit emotionally, but we also were so close. And so when we were checking in with her, it was kind of like, oh, okay, she just, she's dealing with her stuff, but she's good because it was very like up and down. And, um, to be perfectly honest, like at the same time, I was still dealing with so many emotions on my personal level. So I was like, okay, I'm up and down. So, you know, maybe she's up and down as well, but like, maybe she's okay. Cause she was telling us when we would come to her to ask her if she was okay, that she was okay. And so, you know, there's only so much pushing and prodding you can do. Um, and it's such a very sensitive subject and it's really hard to answer these yeah. questions. Um, I mean, of course. Yeah. Well, um, it just really goes to yeah. show that, um, you know, I think all of us, like every human being on earth is walking around saying, I'm fine. 
I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But on some level, all of us are struggling with something. And, you know, it's not a competition, what we're all going through. I think that if we could just all have a bit more compassion though, for, you know, the people that we see on the street or whoever's, you know, um, in the store working for you and with you, it's, you know, everyone is fighting their own battle, whether that be an actual conflict between them and someone else, or just an internal conflict. Like we all have those inner demons. And so that's why I think healing is so important because when we actually heal what's going on inside of us, instead of constantly trying to suppress it, right? Then we don't hurt other people or ourselves, right? And then now look at you. I think about like what Gina said about your entire evolution and journey. Now you're a podcast host that's literally called the heart of healing. You are bringing voices to people who are literally trying to heal. And so you are literally, by going through all of that, you were forced to heal yourself. And that is actually producing healing around the world. And so I, I, I truly think it was all for a purpose. That's my perspective. Saying that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, we've got to look at, you know, whatever we can learn from, from these types of experiences. And I think the loss of Simone was a huge wake up call for us and for so many. And, um, it forced us to have to heal on a very big, big scale and mm. to be able to, um, share any kind of messaging around that that could be supportive or helpful to another human being um in any way shape or form is definitely a gift so yeah and and like you said um, sorry go ahead yeah I mean Simone's passing is obviously so so traumatic but you know I always find it you know so sad that a lot of us have to wait for something tragic to happen before we begin on this journey you know for anyone who's listening you don't have to wait until something like this happens in your life until you lose someone or until you have a health issue. Like you can start healing right where you are right now. It's, it's not a requirement for you to have gone through something. And I think that a lot of people listening to people talk about healing, they think that that's only for people with the big T trauma, right? And obviously this will constitute as that, but you know, trauma can show up in so many different forms, like things that you, you've just buried into your subconscious from when you were a child. And maybe, you know, your parents said, something mean to you while you were doing homework or whatever, you know, those things are also traumatic and can completely manifest as these coping mechanisms that you talked about, right? Whether they be drugs or alcohol. Um, But what's really interesting is even in the manifestation journey, I feel like those coping mechanisms take on a different form. It's like, oh, I want more money. I want a new job. I want a new partner. You know, it's all almost like a drug in some shape or form because Mm -hmm. as soon as you get a certain amount of money, it's not enough. You need more. And so there's always like this searching for another hit. And so even if you're not someone who has struggled with an alcohol or drug addiction, you might be online shopping or, you know, having trouble with your money, gambling like you said earlier today. Even mm. someone who has a really um contentious relationship with working out, you know, all of these things can be healed. And so it doesn't have to be something traumatic before you start really looking inward and figuring out what's going on in there. I love that. I love that. I not agree with you more, Sam. Like that's so perfectly well said. And that's exactly what I was uh, alluding to earlier. It's like literally anything and everything, because really, what are we trying to accomplish? We're really trying to accomplish this like nothingness and a connection to ourselves and just this beingness and this oneness. And when we have all this extraneous um, stuff around us, and that could take the form of anything, then we're really blocking ourselves from the truth of who we are. (laughs) Mm, 100%. Oh, I love what you just said. That was so, so Mm. good. (laughs) Mm, That was so good. 
Um, I would love to find out how did you start healing from the, I mean, you experienced so much grief in that season of your life. Um, I know that your mom had passed away shortly after that as well. What was the, the first step of your healing from that? Yeah. Well, like Sam was saying, you know, you don't have to start healing when something traumatic happens. So interestingly enough, like I've always been very, very intrigued, um, and enveloped, if you will, in the holistic and spiritual space. Um, since I was like nine or 10 years old, i have like oh, wow. reading and taking classes and yeah, it just seems like something that's, um, come with me from many past lifetimes. Mm. Uh, if you believe in that, if you're open mm. to that, I am totally. for sure. Totally. Yeah. So, <laughs> so for me, I kind of felt like up until that point, I lived a very charmed life and I was manifesting left and right. And I was, I was an only child. And, um, from like the age of 12, 13, I started homeschooling. So that's actually why when I started working in a group, why it was so triggering for me, because I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how to share. I don't know how to be around people. Like I just don't, you know, and I'd been working professionally for so long. So I had manifested all these really amazing things that I'd wanted for so long. And then when I did experience something that was like so eye-opening and so deeply painful um, to that extreme, it was like, oh, holy shit. Like I actually couldn't even process, especially still being involved in drugs and alcohol. I could not fully process my emotions at all, but I couldn't process what was going on. And so... um also, Gina, like you said, I did lose my mom very shortly after, I think it was less than a year and a half. Um, and she was my best friend and I'm an only child. So, um, all of that together really forced me to, to dive in, in a way that I had never dived in before. And so I started working with an energy healer, um, who did help me a lot, um, just remove some of the, some of the thoughts and the blocks and my physical and spiritual body. And, um, it was really, really very helpful for me. I did do some plant medicine ceremonies, uh, nothing super crazy. I haven't even tried ayahuasca, but I did some, well, actually, I don't know. Should I even be talking about this? I don't know. Totally. <laughs> Why not? Go with it. Um, but I did do, I did do some plant ceremonies. Um, and those helped me as well. Basically just anything and everything of the light mm. that I could, access. And, um, I was trying to get sober at this time as well. Didn't really have any luck. Um, but after my mom passed, my previous roommate had reached out to me knowing that I'm very much, um, in, I've always been in, in the spiritual and holistic space. So she offered me a session with who, you now know, Winifred. Yes. Um, medical intuitive. And, yes. yes. And she just came in and changed my life completely. Wow. She's this earth angel. I don't know how to explain the work that she does is just the truth. And there were a lot of things simultaneously that I had to do in order to really, I mean, I'm still healing from all of that. Of course, I'm still, course. I still carry grief. I still carry shock. I still carry all of those feelings with me as much as I'd like to say they're gone completely. They're not, I don't know if they'll ever be. Um, but I have come a very, very, very long way. And, mm. uh, for me, a lot of that work did involve working with Winifred. Mm. Well, in your song, you actually say, um, and I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet, but I'm so much better. And I think that that's what this podcast is about, right? We're called spiraling higher because on your healing journey, it's a never ending spiral, right? You're just constantly revisiting the same wounds and triggers and stories, hopefully at higher levels of awareness, but you healing is not a destination, 
you don't just get there at the top of the mountain and think like, I'm done now. I feel great. I'm (laughs) never going to have a negative emotion. I think that the healing journey really is learning how to be with and process emotions because what I'm hearing from you is that your foray sort of into the drug and alcohol world was really to suppress an emotion, right? Something that really felt uncomfortable for you. And usually paired with that emotion is a story of what you're making that emotion mean. And so all of that in order to quiet, we we seek outside of us, whether that be, like you said, substances, but it doesn't have to be, like I said, it could be money. It could be trying to get a fit body or, you know, a relationship. But why do you think we want to suppress these emotions, right? If emotions are just physical sensations, right, at, on a physiological level, what are we trying so hard to get away from? Why do we demonize anxiety or sadness so much? But you know what? This actually really points to something that I was talking to Gina about yesterday, and it was one of the most healing quotes I've ever heard, and it was that um, suffering happens in monologue and healing happens in dialogue. And it's so true because that conversation you were having with yourself about like, but no one knows what I'm going through. But I think that's like 7 billion people around earth thinking that it's just me dealing with this, you know, shame and guilt or self-hatred or loss. And it's like, you're really not alone. That doesn't mean that you have people necessarily surrounding you directly. I think people are like, but I am alone. But it means that there are other people on this journey with you. And, and that's why I think finding community is just so, so important. And so that's really our intention behind having this conversation, right? Helping other people hear through your story that mm. they aren't alone. They went through the same thing or are going through the same thing right now. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I love that you mentioned shame because at the time, um, especially when I was going through my breakup before losing Simone and before losing my mom, I had so much shame and so much like guilt around that and feeling like, oh my God, how could I have let this happen? This is so embarrassing. Thinking I'd had the love of my life and then having to go and face um, everyone that I was working with or everyone that I was around and like not even being able to admit it to them because I was so embarrassed that I was cheated on. I was so embarrassed that I had like gotten into this space and I like can't really relate to that girl anymore, the girl that I was, but it was just so such a horrible feeling to be carrying around and feeling like I could not talk to anyone. I felt mm. like I was just the lowest of the low. And so the only thing that could kind of make me feel more like myself again was reaching for something that prior yeah. to that I had never, ever, ever wanted to reach for. You know, I, I drank, you know, as a teenager, like every so often and that's, that right. was what it was. But then as far as drugs were concerned, like I just never went anywhere near them. Mm. And then all of a sudden it was like my best friend. And I actually, at the time was like, not even able to admit that to myself. I kind of just thought, oh, everyone does this. Like, oh, you know, I don't have an issue. Right. I think this (laughs) is pointing to something so important, which is that at the root of any addiction, you know, whether it be alcohol or drugs or literally like online shopping is pain. And what's so unfortunate is that in our society, we actually stigmatize addiction right? We see someone who's going through um, addictive, even recovery. And we're like, oh, like that loser, right? There's like this whole stigma that you are weak and just, you know, unhinged, I guess, if you've like gone off the deep end. But what I see when someone is dealing with addiction is just incredible internal pain, Mm -hmm. something that emotionally they are not understanding how to process. And what's so unfortunate is that the substances work, but only temporarily, Yeah, which is why 
you have to keep using them, right? And mm-hmm. this is what leads to the addiction. Like it literally works, right? So when you're experiencing like a downward spiral of shame and guilt and you just don't know how to process that, right? You said you hadn't discovered meditation, you hadn't discovered tapping, then you reach for alcohol once or twice and it literally makes it all go away for, for a few hours. Mm-hmm. And so then the next day when it comes back, because it never got released, it just got suppressed. And worse. Like, it, it, yeah. it gets worse, right? It gets so, worse. You, so you have, to, yeah, you have to increase the dosage, right? So now it's it's more, and so, yeah, I think that people need to understand that when they find themselves or other people in their lives that they know going through this, it's at the heart of it is pain, and shame is such a big one. I think shame is something that, like, you're ashamed to have shame. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And it's it's just perpetuates. And I think that has been a huge block to my own healing for a long time. Um, and part of why Sam and I got so close so quickly was that we were just, we laid it all out. And I could just mm-hmm. tell her, like, this is how I feel. Like, even with recording this podcast, like, there's a level of shame of being scared to do it. Right. Literally. We feel like we have to be confident and like, I, I got to be good at this. And I'm not going to tell her that I'm super scared and I hate this episode because I'm ashamed to, to have that. <laughs> but what's helped me to release that is is voicing it and saying mm-hmm. it because you have to almost say it and face it in order to release it. You know, otherwise it just grows on its own. So I love that you did touch on the shame part because so much, so many of us hide because of that. You know, a lot of the conversations that I've been listening into in, in your podcast and, you know, just a lot of even Sam's videos and just people we've been talking to, it's it's been very freeing to have these open and vulnerable conversations about how other people also experience it. And it's usually people that we think would never have that. I mean, you and I, Natasha, had a conversation about your photo shoot recently and you were like, I hate all the photos. And I was like, how could you hate <laughs> them? And then you said the same thing about me. And it's just, we have such a distorted view of ourselves. It's so distorted. And um, what I love about the healing journey is that I'm starting to see me clearly. Not so much. Right? And, and to and- make it clear to listeners, by the way, she said, I said the same thing about her, but meaning like, how could you hate your photos? Right. Not, not that-, that I hate them. <laughs> Just FYI. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Because you're so beautiful. That's so yeah, funny. Gina, Gina and I were actually talking about how... Um, you know, some in the past and still currently too, Gina will record a video and then she doesn't want to post it. Yeah. And I reminded her that for anyone else who's going to come across your video, they don't have any biased opinions or judgments about you, right? You're you're just a random person, you know, showing up on the feed with some knowledge to impart or something to share. And so the same thing for you, Natasha, when you share your photos, like they don't have those preconceived notions about like, oh, like, you know, my skin looks bad and like this, that, and the other, and I'm big or small, whatever, right? They're, you're just, they're just looking at the photo and they're like, oh, nice. And I just, I'm like Gina said, I feel like in the healing journey, I have been able to just look at myself without those, like almost like smoky tinted lenses, right? Where it just makes everything black and dark. I've just taken them (laughs) off and I'm just seeing just how it is. I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. There's Mm. nothing wrong with me. I think that is the healing journey is realizing there's nothing wrong with you. This is completely normal. You have learned to cope with some of these normal things in also societally acceptable ways, right? You know, drinking is completely acceptable. It's the most acceptable form of suppression. It's actually weird if you don't do it. Right. So, right. and that's really we, scary. We live in a sick society. Yeah. 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 And I, to be honest, like, if I wasn't in the space that I'm in now and I wasn't like five years sober and hadn't gone through all these things, like, I wouldn't be able to even share with you that I'd been through that because, 
you know, I caught, I carried so much shame around even having experienced that. And I still kind of carry a little bit of shame because it's like, oh my gosh, I don't identify with that person at all. And before I was that person, I didn't even identify with that. So to imagine that Mm. I was ever in that space Mm. is like wild to me just looking back, but I'm really hoping that just sharing will help someone else. I mean, it's already helped me so much. And I mean, all the guests that you've had on your podcast and they've shared so openly and so vulnerably, I mean, that's what makes us so relatable, right? Is by sharing our pain because then we're like, hey, I see myself in that. And hey, I've gone through something similar. And so thank you so much for sharing so openly um, about your journey. Um, I would love to dive into how did you get into the whole Ayurvedic wellness? Like what was the gateway into that? Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, like I was saying before, I've always been into holistic medicine and spirituality. And so I've, I've had an interest in Ayurveda for years, but actually never understood what it really was. I just thought very ignorantly that, okay, maybe this is something like a, you know, like a keto or a little holistic, like just think, I don't know what like I a naturopath or something. Yeah. I mean, so I, I actually wanted to become a naturopath, but that takes quite a bit of time of full-time schooling. And at the time of starting my studying of Ayurveda, I actually was still doing GRL and doing a lot of music stuff and still working and doing all the things. So, um, so I was like, okay, well, I'm, I just going to explore the world of Ayurveda. And then, you know, what I, then learned, thank gosh, is that it's actually the oldest medicinal system in history or one of the oldest. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people say it's 3000 years old, some 5,000, some even say 10,000. Point is it's ancient and it's actually the foundation on which all modern medicine is based. Mm. And when I learned this and I learned that Ayurveda literally means the knowledge or science of life, it comes from ancient India and it's, Mm. it connects the mind, body and the spirit. And so for me, you know, when we've got a physical or emotional or spiritual or mental ailment, whatever, whatever is ailing you, then it really doesn't come by itself. It's usually always connected. Not usually. It's always connected to the others. Yeah. So knowing that there was something I could go to and learn about that could really um, comprehensively cover all of these systems when looking at a person and also treating an individual as an individual, because no one is the same. What works for one person is not going to work for another person. That's what really just pulled me all the way in. And I was like, oh, okay, this is the more I learned not only the more did I realize I didn't know then <laughs> the more that there is to learn, <laughs> but I also was triggering like so many memories of past lives and healing so many things within myself on so many levels. And for the first time, again, I'm still going through this major transitional period of my life where I'm trying to figure out like, oh, do my world's, you know, my world of entertainment and my world of Ayurveda, do they mix? Can they mix? Does that even make sense? No, I'm still Natasha. Of course it has to make sense, but figuring out mm. how to make that make sense mm. for me. Um, just having this has mm. been so freeing for me in so many ways and just feeling more and more aligned the more I go into it. Mm. But yeah. I so love- did you answer your question? Yes, you totally did. Um, I What I love about this journey, and sometimes it can be kind of frustrating, is that the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know anything. (laughs) Yeah. Can I just tell you, that is the most frustrating thing because it's like, I'm finally, I graduated my first year. Like you said, I'm a certified Ayurvedic wellness counselor and yay. I'm so proud of myself that I did that. But I'm like in my second year to become a practitioner, but it's like, okay, I'm finally practicing, but yet 
oh my gosh, there's all these professors and, and, and doctors, Ayurvedic doctors who've been doing this for like 20 or 30 years, people that are actually from India and grew up with it. And I'm here thinking like, okay, well, I know there's information I have that can help people, but like, I mean, it's not going to be on that level. So figuring out what that looks like for me and also incorporating a lot of the other things that, you know, I've been studying and, and learning and growing with for so long has also been instrumental in my journey in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, but also to go back to your question, um, what actually got me into pursuing this for real, um, was, you know, middle of the pandemic, uh, we, I reunited with GRL with two of the other girls and, um, you know, it's, it's truth be told, I don't know if they even want me to share this, but like, truth be told, it's hard to make money in the entertainment industry. And especially it's like, if you're not at the top, 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 like chances are it's a little bit different with social media these days. Of course, there's more ways to monetize, but like chances are you're not making money. And that was the case for me. And going into healing was always something that I had planned to do and wanted to do. I just didn't think I was going to be doing it this soon. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just kind of felt like almost thrown in. I was a little bit pushed by my dad and stepmom, but pushed in like a loving way. It wasn't something (laughs) negative at all. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so that's just kind of what got me going. And then, like I was saying, as I've gone down this path more and more, it's just feeling more and more aligned for me. So yeah. Well, you must have felt in some ways spiritually pulled towards it. You were being lovingly pushed, (laughs) but also there was something there from the get-go. And um, something I want to circle back to was you saying that, well, there's so many Ayurvedic doctors, you know, people who grew up in India. And I think that that's going to be really illuminating for our listeners to hear because I think something that stops any of us from starting anything is that there's someone already doing it, right? Yes. For Gina and I to start this podcast, it's like, well, you know, Joe Rogan already has a podcast with this many mm-hmm. million downloads. But I think that when you realize how irrelevant that is to you being able to bring your own unique gifts and voice to the practice, it 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 doesn't hinder you anymore because that'd be like you saying, well, you know, Beyonce is already a really famous, like, you know, Grammy award-winning singer. Why should I sing? I just think that those two things are completely unrelated. And so, you know, like, of course there's like Ayurvedic Indian doctors, but that has nothing to do with the fact that you, Natasha, have special gifts and an interest in this. And there's going to be someone for everyone, right? Like there's going to be someone who looks and kind of talks like you who wouldn't really resonate with the Indian doctor, right? They may be like, oh, like when they talk to me, it just, it kind of goes over my head. Like they're too technical. But when I talk to Natasha, you know, she just really distills these concepts in a language and vernacular that I can understand. And so it's the same thing with singing also. Like they can totally love Beyonce, but then they can totally love you. It's totally, Mm. it's unrelated, I think. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of, you know, the healing journey that is my story right now. Totally. Well, I love that you really are this bridge for so many people who honestly have found you originally through your music. And it's funny because Sam has talked to me about Ayurvedic stuff for pretty much since we first met. Um, I think she knew right away that I was, am I Vata? You're Vata. Yes. She knew like right away. She's like, oh, you're Vata. And I was like, I I don't know what that means. Um, Vata Pitta though. Oh, Vata Pitta. See, there's a a distinction. Can you tell that I'm a Pitta? Um, well, it's hard because like, I want to feel your pulse and I also want to like, see your body because I can't see. So, but I believe it. 
<laughs> well, that's what kind of introduced me to it was her talking about it, but it felt so, I don't know, just kind of not something that I could absorb. It felt a little bit too complicated. I don't know. I just didn't really get into it. So then when I saw Natasha talk about it, there was just something that for me made it a little bit easier to consume. And maybe it's also where mm-hmm. I was in my spirituality and in my journey that I was just ready for it. You know, Sam always says when when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And so I feel like that kind of, it just, it just happened. Um, and, and so when we had our session, I just learned so much. It is oh. so eye-opening. And already just like the few things I've incorporated into my, in my daily practice have already made such a big difference. But it's really, really amazing to start to understand how connected everything is. Like you were saying, you know, your, right. your trauma, your, your pain and how that directly correlates with physical pain. Um, and I think that has been a really eye-opening thing for me. Um, as you know, Natasha, I suffer mm-hmm. from a lot of feelings of being sick all the time. Um, and so understanding how that's connected with, uh, my, my spiritual and emotional pain has helped me to yeah. heal really a lot faster. Not that that's the goal, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like I went through kind of a, a bit of a quantum leap in my healing journey because of that. So mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. Ew, that's so beautiful. Yeah. So Natasha, would you say that one of the primary things that you really uncovered when you got into Ayurvedic wellness was how just actually intricately connected all the systems are? Because I think that what modern Western medicine does is really separate all the parts, Mm -hmm. right? And so when someone, when someone comes in with like a hurting knee, or let's just use a physical pain for an example, they only look at the knee itself Right. And of course, there can be physical damage there. But the thing that I've been learning through Ayurveda and just energy medicine is that there is a physical body, of course, right? The 3D vessel that you exist in. But then there's the mental body, the emotional body, and spiritual body. So these are all coexisting and working together. And that's why, you know, I'm a huge follower of Joe Dispenza's work. But yes. when you go to his workshops, he's not physically operating on your body, right? He's working primarily with the mental and the emotional bodies. Now, when he does this, naturally there are physical benefits, right? People who come in who are literally blind or, you know, are having trouble walking without a walker. Now he's working with the mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies. And suddenly the physical body is back in alignment with those bodies. And so how would you explain that to someone who thinks this is totally bunk, right? (laughs) Who, you know, there's so many people who are like, what are they talking about? Like, what do they mean by healing the mental and emotional body? How do you do that? You know, how could your thoughts be connected to the pain in your hip, right? How would you sort of help someone who is really confused as to how those systems connect? They've grown up in the Western world. What would you say to that person? That is a good question. Um, So first of all, the thing that really pulled me in was the fact that Ayurveda connects all of these things together. But then the thing that I really realized when I started studying it is that there is an answer to every question. And now it depends on, you know, not every doctor can answer every question, not every practitioner, not every wellness counselor can answer every question. Um, but there are answers to all of these things. So something simple like, um, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think of something that would be really good. Okay, why is my why does my tongue have raised taste buds today, or why is it pink mm. and my uh, my friend's is is pale? You know, and there's a reason behind all of these things. It's like one very tiny example. But I think what I would say to someone who's very skeptical and not understanding um, the correlation between like the mind, body, and spirit, I would welcome them to just take a look at something very simple. And that would be the way they feel after they eat a particular meal. 
So I would ask, how do you feel after you eat something like a burger? Do you feel very light and free and like your mind is super clear? Or do you feel a bit more heavy and lethargic and like maybe you want to take a nap? And now some people might react differently. Like, Gina, you might eat a burger and you might be ready for a workout. I eat a vegan burger and I'm like, uh, no, tired for two days. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it does depend, but that's kind of where I would start is saying like, mm. if you can look at the way you feel, which is an emotion and like a physical feeling after you eat and mm. how it affects all parts of your system, then that's how I would kind of begin to correlate the physical and mm. the mental and yeah. spiritual sides of things. And then, you know, from there, I would kind of just say, Ayurveda truly is a science. So this is something that the sages came to learn Ayurveda by meditating at the foothills of the Himalayas. And that's how the story sort of goes. Um, And then there is a very spiritual and almost mythological um, story behind Ayurveda. But at the same time, like that's taken to be the actual truth. This is what happened. We, you know, they meditated and they got all of this information and it kind of expanded from there. Um, however, you know, Ayurveda is a science-based medicinal system. So when we're talking about going to see it, when I talk about going to see like one of my professors, an Ayurvedic doctor, um, Vaidya J, for example, like he's able to feel my pulse for 10 or 20 minutes and tell me my entire medical history and my current medical history without me saying a thing. And now he asks questions for confirmation and to him, he's not doing anything that seems spiritual or intuitive. He's like, this is science, Mm. but I know he's tapping into those very subtle energies where he's got to be a bit empathic and he's got to be intuitive and he's got to be aware of those little tiny, tiny pulses he's feeling under each fingertip and in each layer of the skin to feel the different layers of the body tissues. Mm. But it's all able to be explained, maybe not by me because I'm a baby Ayurvedic wellness (laughs) counselor, but everything in Ayurveda can be explained on a deeper level. And that also brings, that also correlates to the spiritual and the mental as well. I do do believe everyone has this intuition. So, um, yes, I definitely believe that everybody has this intuition. It's uh, some people come into this world and into this life with gifts of intuition that seem more apparent than others. And I believe that's because that's where their life path and their life mission is bringing them in this lifetime. And that's where their lessons are going to align. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, if there's something, if it calls to you to be able to increase or improve your intuition, that's definitely something that can be done. And if, it, if you're feeling called to that, I feel like follow that call. Um, and yeah, I've seen people, I mean, myself included, I've always had this, natural intuition, but at the same time, this yearning and this longing to increase those abilities, not for like the ego to say like, Oh, like I can predict this Mm, or I know this, but just to be able to, even in this field, help people much more. Mm, And that requires so much self-trust. Yes. Something I'm learning and building more and more every day and not even sure that Mm. I'll ever get there fully. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're not done well, yet, but you're so much better. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think that learning how to really tap into that self-trust really is it has to be a conscious process because as you're growing up in our traditional society, you're really learning to not trust 
-hmm. right? Any decision Mm -hmm. that you're making as a child, you're having to kind of look to your parents and like ask them if this is okay. And then as you get older, it's like friends and then it's teachers and then just society at large. No one is really raised to trust themselves. As soon as you have like an independent thought or an urge, you immediately get told like, that's not realistic or can't do that. So it is really counterintuitive to now tune into yourself, ask, should I do this or could I do? And then hearing the answer and then going with it because you've been taught to literally check with a bunch of other people before you go with it, right? I mean, how many people have to ask their 10 girlfriends if they should like, you know, do X or Y before doing it? Totally. When when in reality, those people, how would they know? How would they know, right? They're outside of you. They have nothing to do. Their opinions have nothing to do with whether or not this is a good decision for you. And to be honest, they'll probably end up projecting and tell you what they think is good for them, yeah. what yeah. they do, right? And it's all based on more. their past trauma and their past yeah. conditioning and their opinions. And sometimes it's even if they're your friend, it might be laced with all of these other things that they're going through that you're not aware of. And you're literally taking, like I always use the example of um, asking someone for directions who like doesn't even know where you're going. Like why yeah. would you ask <laughs> someone who's not even in the car who has no idea what your destination is of like, should I go left here or should I go right? And they're like, go right. And you're like, okay. And they have no idea. And that's really what it is like when you're asking someone for advice or for guidance or should I do this? And that's actually something that I've really been tuning into is just going with that initial thought of like, this is right. Or Mm -hmm. yes, yes, do this. And kind of listening to those little intuitions or that impulse. And I've been Mm -hmm. learning to trust that so much more. Um, But like Sam said in the beginning, you question that all the time. Like, oh, you should do this. And it's like, but should I? Maybe I should talk to that person more. It's like an immediate questioning of that thought. Whereas I think we're trying to now eliminate those, that line of questioning that we have and just kind of, yeah, and just try to trust that initial impulse. What I will say uh, to add to that, because I think that was really well said, is that if we're in a space where we're feeling emotionally charged or um, low, then mm. I would say trusting yourself at that particular moment might not be the best yes. decision. So what I would say in that situation is to instead for, of searching for outside um, confirmation or validation or direction, which can sometimes be helpful too. Mm-hmm. Um, is to sit and maybe try to do some breath work, some deep breathing, um, meditation, if you can, just to quiet the mind and resettle the system. Because once the nervous system is calm, then from there, that's when we can follow those impulses. Because if I follow an impulse to send a text message when I'm feeling angry, oh, that's (laughs) going to come ricocheting back onto me really quickly. And I'm speaking from lots of experience. (laughs) So I think, I think this is actually, this explains a lot of times why people are maybe unhappy with where they are because they have made decisions only from that heightened nervous system mm-hmm. state, yes. right? A lot of people are making decisions while being unconsciously afraid, mm-hmm. right? How many of us are actually bringing ourselves into that centered place? Like you said, have you done breath work? Have you meditated? You know, that's not a requirement, but I find that in our current society where the natural vibration is very chaotic, mm-hmm. right? If you live in a major city, that's just kind of how you feel. So you'd have to naturally, you'd have to bring yourself down consciously in some shape or form um, and make the decision, like you said, from that place of clarity, non-stress, um, non-pressure, because when you feel that pressure to like make a decision, then you're right. You could be following an angry impulse or insecure mm. impulse and then yeah. be taken down not the right path. 
But yeah. it, I guess it is the right path because it all ends up bringing you back. But exactly. And there's always lessons in it, but you just have to look at those things as lessons and be like, okay, this was supposed to happen. Now, what can I take from this? What can I learn from this? Not saying that everything's like a positive experience because I also hate like glossing over everything being like, what's the positive part of this situation? Yes. But, you know, just to be able to like steer the ship and be like, okay, like this is what I decided mm. now and let me learn from this. Now I know I need to calm my system so I can make a better decision next time. <laughs> Yeah, it really is awareness. Um, I always talk about it being under the influence, like we're emotionally mm. drunk. Yeah, totally. And so, right? And so when you've had a few too many, you know, drinks or, you know, you're drinking in or consuming these negative thought patterns or this past conditioning or your doubts and your fears, now you're under that influence where you're not making a conscious decision. You're making that decision out of fear. And so I think it really starts with that awareness of what influence am I under right now? Mm-hmm. Is this really my highest self or is this my ego and my fear lower self that's just trying to drag me down? And that has been a conversation I've had many times about this, even this podcast or starting mm-hmm. anything new. Um, and I can now reflect back in in past seasons of my life where I was under the influence like the entire time. And mm-hmm. so many of my life decisions were made from a place of fear. Um, and so I, I just love that that you brought that up um, to, again, just have that awareness so that we make sure that we're following the impulses when we're under the right influence of our higher self. Um, I actually want to ask you more about the Ayurvedic stuff because when I listened to your episode with your teacher, there were so many cool things that he shared that made my brain explode. So, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure now that you're in this next level of learning, um, I would just love to know, are there a couple of things that you were really surprised to learn or things that just blew your mind? Share with us. Oh gosh. Okay. There's so many things. And so try to think of a couple right now off the top of my head. Um, for one with tongue scraping, which he did mention in the episode, um, that if you've been tongue scraping for, I think he said 10 years, then it actually helps you to be able to speak the truth. So yeah. And not just like, you know, not to lie, but also to speak your inner truth. And it was so Mm. interesting when he said that, because I was like, I had this aha moment where I was like, Oh, I've been tongue scraping for like 10 years. And now I'm doing this podcast and finally feeling like I'm able to speak my truth Mm. and live my truth. So to be able to actually see that, um, in action was something that confirmed to me that, okay, there is actually some truth to this. Right. And, um, it makes sense to me because if you think about the the act of tongue scraping and what you're doing is you are scraping toxins from the tongue and like stimulating your organs and your digestive system and scraping off all the buildup. And when you think of all of the stories our egos tell or any, you know, I don't want to say lies, but it could be lies, white lies, Mm. or just stories you're telling yourself that aren't actually real. Then when you're scraping off the toxins, you're also scraping off the metaphorical toxins. And so then you can also see the correlation between the spirit and the mental and the physical. And there it is right there. Wow. So, yeah. So that was one of the really cool things. I mean, again, there are just so many. So it also, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to share, first of all, the tongue scraping thing. I'm like, I've only done it for like two months or a month. How do I... How do I do this 10, 10 years or worth? Or 10 more years. <laughs> I mean, anything is How helping. How 10 years worth in two months? Anything <laughs> is totally. helping. A day is helping, so. 
Totally. And I just even even as I'm doing that, you know, making that practice, I mean, I know it sounds silly, but it making it sacred, you know, and as mm. you're scraping it, and I'm literally just imagining and visualizing things getting drawn out of my body. And, you know, I love what you shared about how that helps you to speak your truth, because that's really something that I'm trying to step into more of. And I love that. But when I had my session with you, it was the craziest thing because she's like, stick out your tongue. And it's just like, okay. And you're like, get up super close. And she's like, now lift it up. And I'm like, okay. Um, and she right away was like, yeah, I can see your, your spine is curved. And I was like, how the hell did you know that? Because I actually got this private MRI done. And that was one of the only things that came up was that my spine is curved. So how do you see that on the tongue? Um, okay. So there is a sometimes a crack down the middle of the tongue that appears. Mm. And depending on the positioning, you can tell if it's um, in relation to the spine, but sometimes it's also in relation to deep-seated grief and the heart. Wow. Yeah. And there's a lot about the tongue. There's a lot that we can read in Ayurveda, but there, it, the Chinese medicine goes even deeper with reading of the tongue and you really look at all of the organs. So um, the cool thing with my school is that we incorporate both systems of thought so that we can get even deeper with the levels of the tongue. But I mean, I still have a lot to learn, but there's so much that can already be seen. I can see like the type of imbalances. So in Ayurveda, we talk about Vata Pitta Kapha, um, the three doshas and they, they are, um, we talk about how everything in the universe consists of the five elements, earth, air, fire, water, and space. And so the doshas then consist of those elements. And so we're all predominantly made of one specific dosha. We're, we're made of all three, but we've got a predominant one and then a secondary one. But then our diseases and ailments also are related to the doshas. So like mm. if your tongue has a lot of ama or the white substance that is on the tongue, the coating, uh, when you wake up in the morning and say it's like very thick white, well, then I know that that's related to kapha. And then that's, that's, pointing towards those earth. kind of diseases. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, cough is earth and water. And then, you know, if it's more of like a yellowish tint um, or if it's, if your tongue's really super red, then I can see there's like some pitta imbalance. If it's like black or grayish and we've been talking more about vata, of course, there's a combination usually of all three, but, mm. um, but yeah, so it points to different things. It was so mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Sam, do you do tongue scraping? I do. Yeah. But Have I didn't – I wasn't doing it with this intention. I was more just oh. like, I think that just helps with bad breath. So. Oh, well, it definitely helps with bad breath. That's for yeah. sure. But yeah, and then make sure you do it in the morning before you're consuming any water to all the listeners if you've never done it before because you don't want to re-ingest all of the toxins that your body's tried to eliminate through the night while you were sleeping. And then, you know, if you mm. eat um, – if you eat within like three hours of bed, um, you're not able to digest. So you're actually going to create a lot more heaviness and ama or toxins in the body. Um, so when you wake up in the morning, uh, you'll feel a lot more lethargic, a lot more brain fog, um, and you'll likely have a lot more ama on the tongue as well. Yeah. I'm, it's actually so funny. I'm working with an Ayurvedic practitioner right now. That's and amazing. it's so funny because we, um, I do send her pictures of my face and then my tongue and then she'll tell me things, but it's so interesting. Like the last call we had was literally about my uh, relationship with my energetic space, which I thought had nothing to do with my body, right? I was like, can we talk about like my health? But <laughs> the thing that came up was like my relationship with clutter and like things being in my house. And so what's weird was I thought that call was 
almost pointless. It was about me having an energetic relationship with all my items and ending the relationship with them as soon as I'm done with them. Like, you know, using a cooking utensil, for example, and then putting it back. And I've been doing that now. And it's so weird. I feel like my health has completely changed as a result of it. So I think Ayurveda, although we are talking about the science behind health and wellness, it's it is more than just your physical body, oh, yes. right? Because like I I live in an apartment. And so this is all energy. And so having an energetic relationship with this space, of course, is going to impact my physical body. Yeah. I love that you said that. And I'd love to go into that even a little bit more because when we think about our energetic space, not only is it having an effect on you, but it's also actually reflecting your internal system. Yes. So if you are cluttered in your mind, if you are cluttered in your body by putting a bunch of different food that doesn't like work well together or doesn't suit you, then your body is also cluttered. And then that's going to make you outwardly project that because that's just the energy you're giving off. So then your surroundings become cluttered. And Mm -hmm. so it's actually wonderful to look at something like your apartment or your car because it's going to tell you a lot about where you are internally on an emotional and a physical level. And that's one of the most wonderful things that I love and actually have been, um, if you know, Louise Hay and like you can heal your life. And she really brought a lot of these concepts to the forefront back Mm -hmm. in like the 1980s in the Western space. And she talks about even, you know, there was one chapter in one of her books where she was like, I actually wanted to write, you can heal your automobile because well, then you can <laughs> heal so much within yourself. What are you carrying in your trunk? What's well, back there? We What's in laughing. your past? What are you carrying around with you? You know, that's why we were just laughing because I just got my car detailed for the first <laughs> time, like two weeks ago, because I was like, I think my life feels terrible because my car is dirty. Mm. And and mm. people who don't understand that connection would be like, yeah, your car being dirty has nothing to do with your life being, feeling chaotic. But Gina and I talk about this all the time. We know I'm spending so much time in the car. So if I get in my car and every single time it's literally a mess, there's like leaves and dirt and just dust. And I had literally so much stuff in the trunk. Like my snowboard had been in there since literally January. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so in order for me to clear this space in order for it to be cleaned, I realized there had to be, there had, there was definitely an energetic relationship between like my body and mind and what was happening with my car. Mm. And so now my car is immaculate and I feel like a different person. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. So clean your car. (laughs) Yes. Clean your car because then you feel it immediately. And then, you know, if it starts to get dirty again, you can kind of go back to yourself and then be like, okay, where am I you know, feeling off. And so it's, they work together just hand in hand. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm yeah. like, oh my God, my car is so messy right now. <laughs> no, it's not. I have I like the trunk. <laughs> well, it's funny because I think it's, it's, we're just so used to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, if now when you have that awareness, Sam, when you get into your car and now if it is messy, you feel it immediately. Whereas yeah. prior to all of this stuff, we just get into a car and it's just there. Like my place would right. be messy. My off, you don't even think about it. We're just so used to feeling that level of but chaos. That's, it, but that's the same thing with our internal body, right? Yes. Like we just are used to feeling low-key. I think most people in our society today are just Literally okay with low-key anxiety. I mean, not okay with it, but it does just feel like the norm. You just tolerate it because you think that that's just – Honestly, I used to think that, like, I used to have really bad anger issues, and I was like, that's just my personality. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I was like, that's That's just – the pitta. Yeah. That's the pitta. (laughs) I didn't think it was something that I could change about myself. I was like, that's just the way that I am. I'm just so used to having these emotional responses that are very fiery and intense – 
that it was just part of me. And just like having a messy room, I'm like, that's just who I am. Um, yeah. And not understanding the correlation that it is something that you can shift and change and that in doing that, it really does help to clean energetically within you, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. that you brought that up because um, with your question earlier where you were saying, is there anything that really like blew your mind about mm. Ayurveda? And so when you're talking about like, being angry and, oh, that's just how I am. And then for when I was learning like, oh, there's specific tastes that each of the tastes actually reflected specific emotions. And that like, if you have like too much spicy food, for example, you can actually trigger that rajasic state of mind or that excess pitta. Oh, I know. We've, (laughs) I mean... I'm she not knows sharing everything. any personal information. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gina can share what she wants. Yeah. Um, but if you eat too much spicy food like that can definitely trigger that rajasic state of mind and those angry or frustrated or, you know, short fuse, high temper feelings and emotions. Mm. And so that's why also something that we commonly hear is like a sattvic state of mind or a sattvic diet, mm. where it's very this like clean, bland diet because it brings you into that sattvic and balanced state of mind like that of a very well-practiced yogi. And so it's like, you know, if we eat too much garlic or too much onions, like that's going to trigger like a rajasic state of mind. It's not so sophic. So, um, but anything and everything too much of anything is going to create imbalance in the body and in the mind. Um, so it really is all about that balance. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. What are your thoughts on caffeine coffee? Well, first and foremost, I love it. (laughs) However, so that is actually my one bias and the one thing that's been really difficult for me to curb, especially during school, Mm. working, doing a podcast, still trying to do music, all of the things, of course, I think anyone can relate to loving caffeine, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Um, No, so with caffeine, it's definitely a disruption to your entire system. Yeah. Entire system. I was going to say something that about caffeine. So Gina knows I stopped drinking coffee in September of last year and I can't help but notice how literally everything about my life has changed. Like, I don't think that it's a direct correlation, right? But there's definitely something happening there where I'm no longer relying on this substance and I no longer shoot my body with immediate energetic chaos when I wake up. Mm. I'm just, and it did feel hard definitely for the first month where I was like, am I just supposed to feel tired and sad? Like, (laughs) because I also, that was the biggest thing I noticed that I felt sad when I wasn't Mm, drinking coffee. Like coffee would literally make me happy, but I had to really become comfortable with that emotional experience because I was like, well, if this is my body without it, then this must be normal. Like I kept having to tell myself that to just get through it. But yeah, my energy levels and my relationship with just my own body is so different after caffeine. And I wanted to know your take on that. Absolutely. I mean, and I've gone through periods of time where I've cut caffeine completely out all the way. And I totally recognize that feeling of just feeling not only tired, but really sad and depressed and being like, well, this is what life is like. Like, I'm just, I don't want to do this, but also continuing to do it and then reaching that level where you feel very clean and clear. And then just like, you know, the example of the car and the apartment that we were using earlier, once you clean out your body from that stuff, other things in your life start aligning. And it's like that reverse Mm. effect. It's not like you're starting with the outside, you're coming from the inside and going out. Mm. And so things start lining up for you. And so I definitely say like, get off the caffeine. I want to be a leading example of that at this particular point, (laughs) at this particular time, it's not happening right now. I'm like, but (laughs) it's, I know (laughs) 
it's a process. Um, I do drink, um, I don't have so much coffee to be honest with you. I actually do more of like a little bit of ginseng stuff. I also take a lot of Brahmi, which is not caffeine at all, but it's uh, the ultimate media Rasayana in Ayurveda, which means, um, mind tonic and mind rejuvenator. It's great for memory focus. Um, it calms stress and anxiety, um, it helps you with brain fog and all kinds of different, um, issues. But so I do take a lot of that and hot water, even though it doesn't give you the same experience of caffeine is actually a better replacement for caffeine. So if like in the middle of the day after lunch, for example, you're feeling tired, if you have a glass of hot water, which again, to me, doesn't taste very great, but that's going to give you a lot more energy than coffee will it's not going to give you the same like adrenaline kick and like shoot your nervous system into haywire overdrive but it's going to give you that mental clarity that you need Mm. yeah my my ayurvedic practitioner basically was like you should just be drinking a hot beverage all day Mm. like hot tea hot water um i i do you recommend people not have cold beverages because she was like you need to not do that (laughs) Cold um, will have the opposite effect, so it'll actually slow you down. I know a lot in uh, Western society, there's a lot of people saying, you know, that can speed up your metabolism and burn more calories because your body's, you know, needs to take the heat to to burn Mm -hmm. the calories, but actually Mm -hmm. it's slowing down your metabolism in Ayurvedic terms Mm -hmm. um, and in the Ayurvedic way of thinking because it's actually hardening your bowels and constricting... um, the, the, all of the vessels and everything that's in your body. So it's like doing the opposite. It's creating fatigue and lethargy and, um, actually could lead to constipation, um, in specific people depends. Um, and so the cold is that if we go back to the dosha, um, if we go back to the dosha idea, it's like with, kapha or vata we're thinking like cold with kapha we're thinking heavy and like the earth and um so cold is going to have those same qualities yeah Mm. well what's interesting is since i stopped drinking cold beverages because i used to drink pretty much like ice cold water all the time like i wanted to literally burn my chest yeah Yeah. if you're pizza that's what we want we want ice cold Mm, everything all the time i just felt like i never felt hydrated unless it was cold but what's really been interesting is that since only drinking room temperature and hot water I feel more energetically relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about this with my, and I've, it's been a conversation between me and my practi- practitioner where think about cold, you, you're constricted, right? Like mm-hmm. think about when you go outside and it's cold, you're like, you, your shoulders are all up and you're like huddled together. So she was like, imagine all of your organs just basically being like that, like constricted. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. like holding a lot of tension. And so as soon as you start having the the warming beverages, the warming foods, now all of those systems can just kind of like release and relax, just like you would if you were mm-hmm. like cozy by the fire, you would feel really languid and relaxed. And so that's been really interesting that meant, so it's all connected. So my mental body, right, has, has felt really much more chill since mm. having physically warm liquids entering my body. Yeah. And you mentioned the hydration thing of feeling more hydrated originally with the cold water, but actually your body is more readily able to absorb the hydration when you're drinking warm because mm. it's dilating. Everything's dilating. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's all connected. So you're onto something. <laughs> well, I have been incorporating the hot water every morning right after tongue scraping. Um, and it's actually really nice. Um, I do – 
I, I, I do really like it. You're like, I, I don't need my, it. <laughs> I, um, I have my hot water here right now. I am trying to – and I think that those are probably the, the easiest things I think I've heard you say to incorporate into your daily practice if you're not ready to jump all in and drop caffeine and do all those things, but simply doing the tongue scraping and then the hot water can be the first step yeah. into once making you, some changes. Once you start seeing changes happening and once you start feeling better, then all of a sudden – incorporating other things slowly but surely you start to be and feel easier. Yeah. 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 And I will say with Pitta, you want to be careful to not have like too much hot because that can actually aggravate the Pitta. So with uh, Pitta personalities, it's like you, um, you want to have like warm maybe (laughs) Mm -hmm. and hot is hot water is still good, but just not like overdoing the hot. And also to any listeners, please go, um, to a professional to learn your yes. property or your, your doshic constitution. And also your, you know, you could have a, an imbalance that's like opposite of your doshic constitution. So what you need is going to be different mm-hmm. until you heal. So, yeah, I mean, I learned so much in my session with you. I mean, it just was so in depth and there's so many layers and it can feel overwhelming, but it's also really exciting and freeing to know that, oh, that's why I feel like that every day. Right. And like, oh, like that's why I, I experience these things in my body. And so it's it's very freeing to know that there's actually a lot of things that we can do to start, you know, having more connection with ourselves and, and ultimately feeling better. Absolutely. I would love to know what is next for you. What are you currently manifesting? What are some things that you're really looking forward to in your life right now? Oh, good question. Thank you for asking. Um, I am currently in school for my Ayurvedic practitioner level. So that is something I'm definitely working on manifesting uh, in the here and now. um, And that's taking a lot of my time and concentration. I am uh, about to release a ton more podcast episodes. I'm really excited about that. We're in the editing Yay. process. There was a big break in between um, the first round and the second round, but we're super excited to be back. And then um, what else? I'm currently practicing on my Ayurvedic wellness counseling level, and I'm really, really stoked about that. And um, hopefully still you know, doing some music here and there and incorporating that into my life. Of course, that's like my first love, dancing, music, um, all of that. So yeah, just, just, uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we need another self-love anthem. So I'm oh, counting on you. you to bring yes. us another one. There's so, more so in the works. There's like some that are ready to go, but I just haven't like fully recorded them yet. So I need to, I need to focus on that too. I love Perfect. it. You know, music is actually such a hypnotic tool, I guess, you know, and a lot of us are listening to really bad music, right? In society, like what, like what's popular, right? Is something that's not putting you into a relaxed, energetic state. It's not a loving vibration. And so, yeah, thank you so much for creating music that really feels like love. It feels like love when I listen to it. Yes, totally. I completely agree. So final question. So you, obviously, Natasha, are on the Spiraling Higher podcast, which is yeah. all about us spiraling through lessons with higher levels of awareness. And so we are curious to know, what is the one lesson you've had to consistently spiral through? Um, self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is experiencing a really huge wave of self-doubt right now? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, and something that I need to listen to myself. So (laughs) (laughs) I would say to really just get centered and, um, 
whatever brings you to that being state, that state of mm-hmm. nothingness where you can really, really connect back to your spirit and your true, true self, mm-hmm. because then everything aligns and you're not thinking through it and you don't even really have to feel through it. It just is. Mm, and all the so answers true. are answered in that or all the questions are answered in that space. I love that. And oh, so do you, so do you go through seasons? I mean, I think when we first approach something that does feel scary for us and we have all of this self-doubt, um, I think we do st- sometimes experience this level of like, okay, like I got this until the self-doubt just like comes back in. So do you find that you oscillate in and out oh, of yeah. it as well? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's different levels and different layers. And it just depends on like the, the specific subject at hand. So for example, um, even with something like podcasting or being a guest at the very beginning of this, I was kind of more in my head and like stumbling over words. And then we started talking about Ayurveda and that just feels very natural to me. And I think, you know, there's multi-levels to it where it's like, okay, it's a subject I'm feeling confident about. Yes. But for some reason it's also sitting in my body and in my spirit better Mm. than some of the other things. So it's, I don't know, there's like this relaxation that you have to get into and um, I'm now forgetting the question that you asked me. <laughs> oh my God. You answered it perfectly. You, oh, like you the did. season yeah. doing go best yes. in and out. Yeah. Yes. So for sure. And that's something that I think is one of my biggest life lessons is just learning to get out of my own way. And also just really get out of my ego because I don't yes. have to like worry about the way that I sound or look or think or act. And, um, even bringing it back to like, um, I was wasting time looking for a feeling I could never find till I started healing. And it's like, I just, you got to stop looking at all the extraneous stuff all around you and you got to come back to the self. And that's a, that's a lesson I'll probably be learning until I die. And, you know, hopefully I'll uh, reach the next level and not have to come back a million times to keep learning, but (laughs) we'll see how that goes. But it's so comforting to know that that's supposed to happen, that we are, it is supposed to be cyclical because I think when you first start healing, there's a level of frustration you have with yourself for going through it again. Right. Mm -hmm. When we're just like, oh, great. Again, like here again, I have to do this again. And I think when you start to have compassion for that, just like with a child, like when my daughter's learning how to read, I'm not like, what? You need help again? Like, it's, it's not like that. We, ex- <laughs> we expect that they're going to have times where they need to relearn something or come back to that lesson or remember or, you know, they forget. And so I think having that compassion and understanding that it's, it's you're never going to be done. I think Sam's always like, okay, I think I figured it out. And then I always say to her, yeah, until the next time, like until, <laughs> right. until you're not feeling good again. And, and that has been something, I mean, Sam, you can speak on that of how frustrating that's been for you until obviously now. I feel like you're yeah well I mean like really similar to Natasha like definitely experiencing like she said the self-doubt um I wouldn't say that's the thing that I've cycled through but definitely feeling like a failure every time I had a negative feeling like as if that was my fault as if I caused it um Mm. but now I know those emotions are just it's just part of being a human you can there is nothing that will help you off this exit ramp of human experience. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of status that will stop you from feeling sometimes anxious and sometimes doubtful and sometimes sad. And so thank you for sharing that with us, Natasha, because someone listening right now is wondering how the F does this like singer, songwriter, wellness practitioner, podcast host experience so much self-doubt, but it's just part of it. Yeah. Yes. It's part of it. I think too, it's like you can take three steps back uh, forward and then like two steps back and then one step forward and then another two steps back and then like five steps forward. And then, you know, so it's kind of just 
I feel like the more work you do and the more you just relax into the self, the easier things can get no matter what it is you're going through. But it's just that continuing to grow, continuing to be available to learn the lessons. And Mm. I think for me, and I know you want to wrap this up, but I think for me too, one of the things that I um, sometimes look at a lot is like the people that are in the spaces where I strive to be or where I think, oh, I could, you know, I want to do that or, you know, and seeing like, okay, but how long have they been doing that? Or what's their, their life purpose or what's their life mission? Like we're all on our own specific journeys. So where Natasha is, is right for Natasha. It's like divine perfection. It's divine timing. And Mm. I have to be okay with that. And I have to be available for that and not fight it because that's where the true growth happens. And that's where I can up level. And that's where I can, you know, get to the places that I really want to be the places that once I'm there, I'm like, Oh, this is like easy. And like, I don't, I don't even have to like try to be, I just am, you know, all Mm. of that other stuff I was trying to achieve. Like there's no need to keep like, stop trying. Just be, yeah. (laughs) I, you know, try, but don't try. Easier said than done. (laughs) Yeah. It's so much easier said than done. And it's funny because when we go through those downward spirals where we're, you know, feeling the self-doubt again, that's usually when we leave ourselves. And it's like that's in those moments where we need ourselves the most. And I think that's really been the work, um, at least on my journey, is how do I, you know, be the comfort that I'm seeking in someone else or other things in my life, right? That's why we're always looking like, oh, can you fix me? Can you fix me? Can somebody else make me feel better? But when you go inward and you really realize that the answers, like you say in your song, are really just within you. And um, I think I've really learned how to be my own like best friend, my own inner mother, uh, my own best you know cheerleader in those moments, and um, that's obviously still a work in progress for me. But I think that that really personifying, I guess, that inner voice as a relationship, you know, just it is a relationship with yourself, but it's almost feels separate. Um, so I think connecting that um, is such a beautiful process, and um, you know, obviously, all the healing stuff that you are imparting on the world is definitely, I'm sure, helping so many other people um, on this journey. And so we are just so happy that we were able to dive deep. Is there anything final you want to share, or how can people find you? What kind of services are you offering? Tell us everything. Yes, well, I am currently doing Ayurvedic wellness consultations online and in person. Um, in person, I'm offering, uh, Shiradara therapies, uh, Griva Bastis, Janu Bastis, um, Kati Bastis. That's like for pain in the knees or the low back mm. or the upper back and neck area. Um, Shiradara is amazing for releasing stress and anxiety, helping with insomnia, actually with, um, addiction and PSD because it helps to rewire the neural pathways in the brain, um, helps to open the third eye, increase creativity. Just, I mean, pretty much everything you can think of, balance hormones, the nervous system, you Wow. You know, you name it, you got it for kind of with Shiradara. Um, <laughs> those, those particular things are in person, um, offering crystal bed therapy as well. And, um, yeah. And if you would like to book a session or just contact me to learn more, um, I'm on Instagram at Natasha Slayton and also at sacred heart of healing. And you can either DM me. Um, I have my email contact buttons there. There's a website coming soon. And hopefully that didn't sound like too much of a plug. I was just trying to no, offer up no, any that's, information. That's, <laughs> that's what we wanted. Helpful, but, uh, that's what we wanted. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll tag you obviously in the show notes and all of that kind of stuff. But I just wanted people to know what you offer. Um, I keep seeing you um, do the Shiro Dara, and yeah. I want to get it done so bad. There's a place in Vancouver that does it. Can you just yes. explain really quickly before we sign off here what that is? 
what, what sure. is happening? So shiro means head and dara means flow. And um, most commonly in the practices I've seen, it's an oil flow and they use very sacred ancient Indian oils. Um, so Brahmi is actually one of them. So Brahmi that I was talking about, I actually take that in a powdered form as well. Mm. But that's like usually the main ingredient of the oil in Shirodara. And so it, it all of the benefits I listed before Brahmi carries along mm. with it. Um, Brain Garage is another one of the oils, which um, topically is, is used is a great tonic for hair and a bunch of other things internally can be taken also for the liver and the list wow. literally goes on and on for all these things. Um, we use Chattamansi as well. And uh, that's great for hormonal balancing and nervous system balancing. And again, a laundry list of benefits. Um, but so basically in a session with Shirodara, you have this oil flow onto your forehead and third eye. And I can't really explain the experience because for everyone, it's totally different, mm. but it's very relaxing, very calming. You just get very connected back to your spirit and it does have long lasting effects as well as short-term effects. Oh my gosh. I'm going to book my session uh, very, very soon. Hopefully maybe one yeah. day Sam and I can come see you in LA. <gasps> come see me. That. that in particular is one of my absolute favorite things. So when I started mm. Ayurveda and like started learning, I was like, what is Shirodara? I had never heard of it before. And when I, when we had to like learn how to actually uh, perform the therapy, I was like, but how is this gonna like oil on the floor? I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but when you experience it, you get it. Oh my gosh. I can't yeah. wait. Let's thank do it. Sam. So, We're going to book in. So yes. I can't wait Natasha. to hear how it goes. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. This was incredible. They're going to get so many amazing Ayurvedic and just like life healing nuggets from this. So I thank you for so. sharing your time. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that session. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. Here's to spiraling higher.